professing fellow believer and seems like they're walking with you, we praise you for that, um, Lord. Just the rescue of many uh, from all sorts of walks of life and backgrounds, Lord God, we praise you for that. Um, uh, Lord, just uh, pray for Pat and just even this um, client uh, that she was um, talking to a little bit. Uh, thank you for faithfulness on Pat's part, and just pray that uh, in those conversations, when we throw out, when we cast a cast a line and want uh, want the fish to bite, um, Lord, I pray that you would provide for those. Even this coming week, we would ask for that. Uh, Lord, we want to be a light individually and together as your people. Um, help us to do that. Uh, please rescue uh, many. Um, we would ask. Thank you for this time this morning as we talk continue to talk about holiness and growth. Um, pray that you bless our time together. In your name, amen. Okay, so um, just remind you, uh, where are we at? We're in Hebrews. We're still talking about holiness. Let me remind you of our definitions real quick. Uh, holiness is uncommonness in relation to God or people, places, or things. With reference to God, it describes his utter uncommonness or incomparability because of who he is as God. With reference to people, places, or things, holiness indicates that God is declared the person, place, or thing as uncommon and belonging to himself for his own use. The closer the person, place, or thing is to God's naked presence, the more holy or uncommon must, the person, must be the person, place, or thing. Uh, we're tied this in with glory. God's glory is the weight of his intrinsic being or the manifestation of that weight. To glorify God is to reflect to him some measure of the weight of honor that is proper to his being. What's the relationship? God is holy. Uh, because of his glory, because of his intrinsic weight. Uh, God causes things to be holy by the presence of his glory. That's that imagery in the Old Testament of kind of Israel basking in God's glory, the, the, the bread of the presence, uh, bread of the presence, uh, right next to uh, the lampstand with its light representing God's glory shining on his people. But also God requires things to be holy for the presence of his glory. In other words, uh, if you're going to draw near to God, you need to be holy in order for his glory to be manifested. So it's a, it's a both and sort of a thing. Uh, we said in regard to Israel, um, there was an initial designation of holiness through the Exodus redemption. Uh, there was an ongoing requirement of holiness through atonement and obedience uh, to protect God's name on Israel and dwelling with Israel. Um, and there was increasing holiness through Israel assembling to bask in God's glory, his presence on the Sabbath. We said uh, this, and we've been seeing this pattern. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in Hebrews. Uh, as a sinner, how do you draw near to God's glory? You need to be cleansed. Cleansed through sacrifice. Uh, okay, but that doesn't mean you're in the priesthood. So how do you enter the priesthood? How do you get near? You need to be sanctified, right? You need to be brought in from the realm of the common into the realm of the holy. And we said the perfect ideal life and goal in life would be for someone to be able to dwell in the holy of holies indefinitely. Like if you could just bask in God's presence forever, that would be the perfect life. Uh, that would be ideal. Uh, that's the way it was at the beginning. And you see that same uh, pattern of cleansing. Cleansing leads to sanctification, which leads to perfection in the book of Hebrews. So we've just been taking samples, walking through the book of Hebrews, seeing the same thing, right? Uh, God cleanses, Christ has cleansed his people through sacrifice, and not only has he cleansed them through that same sacrifice, he has sanctified them. He has called them out of the realm of the common into the realm of the holy. But all of Hebrews, the backdrop of it is here's a people who are being persecuted, and the author is like, 
Draw near, meaning draw near to God's presence. Come near, draw near. Uh, And ultimately, he's talking about perfection. And what does perfection look like? Basking in God's presence in the real Holy of Holies forever, right? So that's just a review of where we've been at. We left off last week, and we're going to finish Hebrews today, Lord willing. Um, uh, We're going to come back to Hebrews 9, 22 through 10, 31. It's kind of a it's kind of the pinnacle chunk of Hebrews. The author is summing up a lot of his arguments. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and reread. We, we read a chunk of this last Sunday, and I'm going to go ahead and reread uh, just to bring us back up to speed, um, and then we'll pro- progress. So let's start in Hebrews 9.22. Indeed. Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. So he's talking about the Day of Atonement. Remember, the Day of Atonement was the pinnacle where the high priest got to go into the Holy of Holies. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment... So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect, there's a perfection language, those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have um, ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, Above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, that's the sacrifices, in order to establish the second, doing God's will. Uh, and by that will, we have been, have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, right? And so where we left off last week was saying, it's happened. Uh, there's, um, because of Christ's sacrifice, he not only has cleansed, but he has sanctified, brought them out of the realm of the common into the realm of the holy by his sacrifice. In other words, as a people who are in Christ, we are declared righteous. Uh, we are declared sanctified. Uh, those two correspond to one another, okay? So that brings us up to speed, and we're going to keep reading through this section for quite a ways, because like I said, it's kind of the pinnacle of a lot of the author of Hebrews' arguments, um, and it, it just ties together a lot of these concepts. But before we go on, are there any questions or comments um, from where we left off?
Okay. So, uh, let's proceed, and let's have someone else read, uh, let's say, verse 11, so 10, 11 through 10, 18. Someone read 10, 11 through 10, 18. Pause right there. Notice that language in verse 14. What does it say? Okay, so let's interpret that based on what we've already seen in Hebrews. What is it saying? What does it mean? For by single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Absolutely, right? So this is the, Jesus' offering is the offering to end all um, at least in a, in a truly, uh, there's probably offerings in the millennial temple, but that's another discussion. However, uh, the, even those would point to Christ's sacrifice, right? And what, he, um, what it has done. Um, but what, in terms of this language of sanctification, perfection, what do we see? Yeah, it's very interesting because what have we seen all the way up to this point in Hebrews, um, sanctified, um, is it's, it's done, right? You've been called out of the realm of the common into the holy. I think you could understand this still in that way, right? Uh, those who are coming to Christ are being sanctified, right? When they come to Christ and they, they repent and trust themselves to him, they are in a progressive kind of, you know, characteristic way are being sanctified. But what's interesting here is the tie between the language of perfection and the language of sanctification. In other words, if Christ has brought us out of the common to the holy, but what else do we see in terms of perfection? What does he say? Yeah. He has it's 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 a it's a uh, viewed as a completed act, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So those who are brought into Christ, those who are sanctified, they're brought out of the realm of the common into the realm of the holy, they have been perfected. But wait a minute, have we reached perfection yet? Have we reached the end yet? No, so what's he saying? He's, he's viewing it as completed, but, but has it happened yet? No, not actually, so what's he saying? Exactly, right? It's as good as done, right? Uh, if we think back to the, the Old Testament tabernacle, right? So you enter through sacrifice. If you're the high priest, uh, you're, you're sanctified, right? You're set apart. Um, and then you get to go into the Holy of Holies uh, through sacrifice, right? And in a sense, you've, you get to enter that perfect place. Um, it's as good as done once the sacrifice has been offered. So in a similar sort of way, right, you're being sanctified, you're being brought out of the realm of the common into the holy through Jesus' sacrifice, but that sacrifice not only purchased, okay, you're brought out of the realm of the common into the realm of the holy, it also purchased 
you going all the way. In other words, you drawing near all the way into the Holy of Holies. That's what we get that language earlier on, a forerunner, of, um, of a pioneer, um, uh, leading us into that Holy of Holies, right? It's as good as done because of the sacrifice, right? The sacrifice does all three. It cleanses, it sanctifies, and it ultimately perfects, even though we haven't reached that perfection yet. Uh, the basis of it is Christ's sacrifice, okay? Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Right. Yeah. There is There is a process. There is a process, right? Um but essentially we want to we we want to understand what each text is saying, right? So I would argue this, based on everything, the backdrop of everything that has been said in Hebrew, this text isn't talking about that, but it does talk about and allude to that later. But there's this big grounding, like before we talk about the process of sanctific- uh, the process of growing in holiness, however you want to put that, it's always grounded in the position, right? It's always grounded in Christ's sacrifice. Uh, and in fact, I think we said it before, right? Like uh, the New Testament talks this way. It's live out your identity. Live out who you are. Um, so if you are holy, declared holy, declared set aside for God's use and purposes, uh, the idea is uh, live up to that. Live, live that out, right? Um, I think we used this illustration. It was kind of a funny illustration. Maybe, maybe you were a janitor at, um, at, at a company, right? And all of a sudden you get this massive promotion, right, to like... Uh, I don't know, super high management level, right? Well, you may feel like, ah, I don't have the skills, and I don't have this, and I don't have that yet. And yet, what would you do? You would strive to your utmost to live out that position that you've been called to, right? That's, that's kind of the idea that um, is getting portrayed here. So, um, so we're getting there. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Any other questions up to this point? These are good. You're, you're, the things you're bringing up are really good, so... All right, Steve, you want to finish this off to, through verse 18? Uh, 15 to 18, please. Okay, so what's he talking about right there? What it, what's this covenant he's talking about? It's the new covenant, right? This is Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Um, so he's connecting all of these ideas with the new covenant. That uh, The idea of the new covenant, um, remember we've been talking about, in Israel, you have a circle within a circle. You have people who are in Israel um, who don't actually know God. Um, that's a problem. The new covenant fixes that. It makes... There's not a circle in a circle anymore. Everyone in the New Covenant knows God. And not only that, but as we're seeing in, in Hebrews, there's not like the priests and then everyone else. Everyone is now called to that because everyone is now sanctified. Why? Because of the forgiveness of sins that the New Covenant talks about, right? So it correlates with what's going on 
in the new covenant. Yeah. Exactly. Because he... Right, so Christ is the high priest, um, but what's the call? The call throughout Hebrews has been this. What? Draw near. Draw near into the true holy of holies. The only people who get to do that are those who have been cleansed, who have been sanctified, who have been made priests, right? Which is exactly where we talk, what we mean when we talk about the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers doesn't mean we don't need a priest, the priesthood of all believers means we have Jesus as our high priest, and we're all priests, uh, and we need each other, correlating with what we're talking about, uh, even with membership uh, on Sunday morning, right? It all fits together. So, uh, Other questions, comments up to that point? Well, it would be that idea that um, it's as good as done. Yes. 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 Right. Well, yes. 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 Exactly, right? It's, it's the one sacrifice. It's the ultimate day of atonement, to put it in that way, right? It's, this is the one sacrifice to rule them all, right? To use Lord of the Rings language. Um, but to, to bring us, what? Into the perfect state, which is basking in God's presence and God's glory, where Christ is, as a forerunner, already on our behalf, right? He's, he's bringing us along. Um, so, but it's all rooted in his sacrifice. Absolutely. So, good. Uh, okay, let's keep moving. Uh, 10, someone else read 10, 19 through uh, 25. Now, this is, this is like, you remember Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, where he says, Since therefore we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That, that's one bookend. This is another bookend. It, you're going to hear a lot of similar language, and this bookend's a big old argument that he's been making all this time in Hebrews, okay? So just to point that out, but someone go ahead. This is a big culminating argument for him in this paragraph. So someone go ahead and read 10, 19 through 25. Can you speak up, David? What's the call? 
So he's, this is like big culmination of his argument. What's, what's the call? What do you see in there? Yeah, we have confidence. This side of, of the new heavens and the new earth, this side of um, being in God's presence, we have confidence. Why? Because of the great high priest, because of his sacrifice, because of his uh, atonement, right? Because of his cleansing, right? Uh, you get that water of washing in there, which... Uh, I didn't mention it last week, but that's, that's another part of the imagery of baptism, right? Where you are being cleansed, you're being washed, uh, you're being ordained as that high priest uh, to come near. So you can come near to the Holy of Holies, right? Um, what's that? Yes, right. Uh, it's, it's through Christ's flesh, his, his offering. That this, that's where we have confidence. You think of the Day of Atonement. Does the high priest really have confidence going into the holy place? Well, kind of, because God told him to do it, and he's following the right procedure. But, yeah. Rope around his ankle in case he get struck down dead, right? But the difference here is confidence because of, the per, the per, because of Christ as the perfect sacrifice and the perfect high priest. Yeah, David. Yes, because his, he is saved to the utter, to use language earlier on in Hebrews, he is saved to the uttermost to those who call on him, right? Uh, there is, there is um, all the depth and gravity of our sin has been dealt with in that sense. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And notice what he's calling. Remember, these people are under persecution. So what is he calling them to? He's like, look, you guys are tempted to ditch and go back to Judaism, but you're, this is the full, this is what everything was pointing to. Uh, you can't ditch. Uh, and how are you going to keep moving? How are you going to keep persevering? Right? Hebrews is really all about perseverance in, a, in, in that sense. How are you going to keep persevering? Well, you persevere first and foremost by understanding what has God done, right? What has Christ done um, in all of that? So, yeah. And, and that's what he talks about exactly in Hebrews 12, which um, uh, he says, well, he talks about Hebrew 11 in the hall of faith, but he says, uh, you know, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, uh, keep going, keep running this race. You haven't, you haven't persevered to the point of shedding your blood. Um, and, and that's, that's exactly what um, you're pointing out, Gary. So, What else do we see? In, oh, yeah, Susan, sorry. Yeah, he's talking to an audience. I mean, he says it earlier. He's talking to an audience that he believes is saved. He's talking to an audience that he believes is saved. But they're in this kind of point of crisis, right? It's like, yeah, but really, the only ones are going to make it if you keep persevering. So he's issuing, war he's issuing warning and wooing 
because God uses warning and wooing for true believers to help them persevere to the end, right? Uh, in other words, a true believer is going to listen to this and say, whoa, can't go that way. Uh, Got to keep persevering until the end because of who Christ is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other thing you see here, right, and, and some of the, probably some of the, the tension, right, uh, under Nero's persecution, so we think this is written to Jewish believers in Rome during Nero's persecution, uh, probably, um, it seems likely. In any case, uh, Nero's persecution was only against Christians and not Jews, right? So there's also, but you see the community aspect here, right? Keep meeting together. Don't neglect meeting together, right? And so there's probably that draw, too, of like, well, if I ditch from meeting with the church to meeting with the synagogue, right, I can, I can escape and I can be surrounded by my friends, too. Um, there's that element of it as well, so... Um, but he's saying here, keep gathering. Keep gathering as a people, as the priesthood, right, to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day right near. That's why we gather, right, one of the re- to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to persevere till the end. Um, so, yeah, good. Anything else in that section? Okay, let's, let's keep reading. Um, because now what we start to see, uh, we start to kind of turn a corner a little bit, and this will happen especially a little bit here, a little bit in 12, and then uh, especially in 13. Okay, what does that mean for your life now? If you have that confidence, if you've been called out of the ho- uh, common to the holy, what changes? Right? Um, so start looking, someone read 26 through 31, chapter 10. Okay. Like one of the scariest passages in all the Bible, right? But now that we have a little context, um, what's he calling them to? Yeah, definitely perseverance. And what language does he use? Uh, to kind of describe that. What's he warning him against? Yeah, so God's wrath, uh, deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, profaning, which there's our word, um, making, treating as common the blood of Christ. Right, no big deal, blood of Christ, um, which is what you would do if you are jumping ship um, from Christianity to uh, Judaism, right? Because you're essentially saying, well, 
um, actually the, the stuff that's good, <laughs> ironically enough, like going back to the kind of the old system, you're you're, the implication is you're treating as common the ultimate sacrifice that that was all pointing to anyway, right? Yes, right, and so then you're treating as common um, Christ's sacrifice for you, by which you were sanctified, by which you were called out of the common into the holy as, as a priesthood. Yeah, so um, going on and sinning, sinning deliberately, um, you, um, you uh, now he doesn't, just to point out, and we're not going to read this, but um, you can if you want later, but um, he goes on to say, look, uh, but recall what happened to you. So he's saying, I don't think this is true of you. I don't want it to be true of you, but I'm warning you uh, so that God would use that warning to help you persevere. Uh, but he doesn't believe it's, it's true of them. Um, but what, part of what we start to see is back to what Steve was starting to point out. What does that mean for us? If this is the position of being called out of the common into the holy, what does that mean for us? We cannot go on sinning deliberately. We cannot. Because if we do, we're profaning, we're treating as common the blood of Christ. Uh, so there we start to see some of the call of our lives now. If Christ has done what he's done, and he has, um, we cannot treat his blood, um, what he has done to sanctify us as common. Um, and so therefore we cannot continue in, in, deliberately in sin. Um, so we start to see some of that. Put off sin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, James. Right. I don't think it implies that. Um, uh, I think what it um, does mean, though, like, again, this is a warning. God uses warnings to help true believers persevere. So he's writing to people he believes are Christians, right? But they're tempted. They're tempted to forsake, right? So he's, he's saying, look, if you were to do that, you're profaning Christ's blood, and you think you're going to other sacrifices. You think you're going back to the old system. Uh, there's no other sacrifice. <laughs> uh, you're abandoning the one sacrifice um, alone that can bring you to the end. So, yeah. Yeah, Gary. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's, here's the thing about it, right? There's warning and there's wooing. So whenever you talk to someone, and maybe they're a struggling believer, right? Just like the author of Hubers, there's warning and there's wooing. In other words, warnings, like even talking about hell, I think hell is designed this way. Hell is real, but you shouldn't ultimately just be motivated to escape the fires of wrath, right? You should have a love for God himself and a love for Christ. And it's the same way here, right? Love Christ. See who, the author of Hebrews has been portraying the excellencies of Christ for chapter after chapter, and he's saying, look, Christ is so excellent, 
uh, don't go away because it is, uh, God, threatens, God threatens horrible things if we will not be satisfied in him, right? Yeah, and it's it's difficult to navigate those conversations. So, yeah, good. Yeah, Susan. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Syncretism. Yeah. Yes. Right. You could frame it even in this way, right? Like you think of, let's suppose someone in our culture becomes a Christian and you can imagine all the things they might even possibly involved with um, before that. Um, maybe it doesn't even look all that bad, but you there's that temptation, right? to just come to church on Sunday and like then the rest of your life looks the same uh, and that's a problem right They're, you're syncretizing at that point you're you're worshiping you're trying to have it both ways um, and uh, the author of Hebrews is ultimately saying you can't have it both ways because of how precious and holy uh, Christ's sacrifice is Yeah, and the problem with lukewarmness, as we see in in, in uh, Revelation, is that uh, you're lukewarm. Uh, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's not good. Uh, that's that's the language of judgment. Uh, that's the language, and it's designed like you're lukewarm, uh, you know, or to use uh, Elijah's language from First Kings, right? Uh, why are you going on limping between two opinions? If Baal is God, follow him. If Yahweh is God, follow him, right? Um, and we don't, the Lord doesn't like lukewarm people, so, uh, Jesus doesn't, so, um, yeah, James. Uh-huh. That's true. That is an excellent question. And I think, um, you know, some of that, like as believers, we are both warned, but we see the excellencies of who God is, the awesomeness of who he is, right? We ought to be meditating there often, right? Just thinking about, like, I, I, do, I have to do this for my own soul often, right? I have to go to my big God passages, like in, you know, creation, uh, Job 38 through 42. If you've been doing a reading plan, you just read that, like, I think this last week, um, or something, um, and but you see the grandeur of God, the majesty of God, the the goodness of God. But then you can even look at the life of Christ, right? You can see Him as a person. We're not. It's not like we're selling someone a formula, like push this button and you're saved, right? It's know this person, know Christ, because as we've been saying before, what saves a person. Repentance and faith, which brings you into what? Union with Christ. Union with a person. Uh, a person who is the one mediator between God and man. Right? So you, you, talking, I think it helps to think in terms of talking, knowing who Christ is from the Gospels, 
and knowing that he's, he's currently actively at the right hand of God and is this mediator, is this high priest. And so out of what you know of how excellent Christ is and how excellent God is, that just flows out of your heart, right? Um, so you're warning them and saying, my friend, God is amazing. He wants you to enjoy him. He wants you to bask in his glory for all eternity. But exchanging that, exchanging the ultimate treasure in the universe for something that is worthless, which is what all created things are apart from him, he's going to uh, mete out his judgment, and rightfully so, because he is the treasure that he is, right? And so you kind of frame it in that, that way. Um, so there's, there's both warning and wooing. Does that help, James? Yeah. Okay. Susan. Yeah, it's true. Right, right. Yeah, it's a good way of talking about it. Uh, yeah, David. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for us, ultimately, to reach, as Hebrews would put it, perfection, right? Being in God's presence, basking in his presence, knowing him, enjoying him uh, for all eternity, right? So it's a both and. It's a both and, right? We warn people with hell, because Jesus does, right? But it's not like, it's not like Jesus wants a person just ultimately motivated by fear. Fear is useful um, to wake someone up. But ultimately, what God wants is people who are absolutely head over heels enthralled in who he is. That's what God wants. Because otherwise, what does it mean? If, if you just want to escape hell, and it's like, okay, I guess I'm going to heaven, and God's there, great. But, like, I'd actually just kind of prefer to live forever and not go to hell. Then, in a sense, you, if you just stay there, you're, in a sense, you become an idolater, right? Because if you're not treasuring God as your highest good in life, then that must mean you're treasuring something else, and that's called idolatry. Um, and so that's, that's where we got to be really careful in how we frame the gospel. We need hell, but we also need uh, how awesome and excellent and lovely uh, God is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't see God as the over 
and usually someone who, you know, I've had, I think, a couple conversations with people who have that, you know, that, where that came from, that, that God, there's a different God in the Old Testament, a different God in the New, that came from the heretic Marcion in, like, the second century. Um, that's how he framed it, um, and it's kind of just kept up with the church all these years, unfortunately, but you can see, think of the Exodus, right? The Exodus is God's grace in rescuing those people. Uh, it's not keep the law and I'll rescue you. I'm going to rescue you first, then I'm going to keep the law. It's the same thing with salvation, right? So, um, yeah. Well, true. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why salvation uh, and perseverance both, right, uh, is a miracle. Um, it is something that can only happen through the empowerment and the work of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, uh, let's go to Hebrews 12 really quickly. Um, okay, Hebrews. So he kind of in these latter chapters, especially 12 and 13, essentially what you start to see is if this is your position, if you are a holy people, if you are a sanctified people, then reflect that. Uh, and when we talk about growth, uh, it's really um, grow in reflecting who you are. Grow in reflecting the position that you already have. So even in 12.7, he's talking about this with them. He's saying, it is for discipline that you have to endure. You know, endure the persecution, endure the sufferings that you're going through. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, this is like training discipline, like a parent discipline, right? Yes, there's spankings involved, but um, it's, it's for training, right? That's the idea. Um, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, uh, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And here it's helpful to think back to Christ. How did Christ display his holiness on earth? Well, he, uh, in many ways, but certainly when he suffered... He, he displayed his, who he was. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here, right? You display who you are in being a holy people even through suffering, right? God is training you through that. He's growing you. And so what does it mean to grow through that? It means you grow in displaying the holiness he's called you, growing in displaying that character um, as, he, as he moves through that. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So God uses suffering, uh, among other things, but he does use suffering in a particular way to, dis uh, to, to have us grow in displaying that holiness that we've been called to. Uh, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Uh, he goes on, verse 12, Therefore, Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What are you striving to portray? You're striving to portray the character you already have that Christ has given you and you're empowered to live that out only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, 
someone's not holy, they're not going to see the Lord, just the same way as in the Old Testament, right? So you're walking along, and you're claiming to follow Christ, and you're not displaying that reality of being a priest, of being holy. Uh, that's what we mean by, um, are you saved? Uh, do you know Christ? Because if you do, you're going to display that, that holiness. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Which is exactly what he goes on to talk about, actually. Verse 15, see to it that no one... So who's he talking to? He's talking to the church, and he says, see that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now, the root of bitterness is a quote from Deuteronomy, and the root of bitterness was someone that was going after another god in the midst of Israel. So root of bitterness is not like a bitter person. It's, it's actually like someone who is going after another god um, in Deuteronomy. If you look that up, you can, that's what he's quoting. So he's saying, uh, okay, uh, make sh- church, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears, right? And so, and he goes on, like he goes on and appeals to them, you, why, why are you doing this? Because you didn't come to Mount Zion, you've come, or you didn't come to Mount Sinai, you came to Mount Zion. There's this shift, you're inheriting, uh, you're inheriting a, uh, uh, an unshakable uh, kingdom, you're, you're part of the new covenant, um, all of these things, you're part of this priesthood that is together offering sacrifices that are pleasing God. Fruit of lips that acknowledge his name um, and uh, doing good and sharing. So even if you look in 12 and 13, what does it look like to reflect this holy life, right? Of course, abandon sin, uh, offer the fruit of lips that are praising God's name, uh, even later in chapter 13, he outlines this is what it looks like to reflect God's holiness. Will the marriage bed be held undefiled? Uh, uh, be serving one another? Uh, obey your leaders? Um, but uh, he also says later, do good and share, for these are sacrifices that are pleasing to God. So he begins, because of all the position that we have in Christ, now he says, here's what it looks like to live that out, right? Here's what it looks like to be a priest offering sacrifices that are pleasing to God um, as you do that. And, and all, oftentimes that comes through pain and suffering as God puts trials in our lives to display that holiness in the midst of suffering. So, all right, we're over time, but any last minute questions on, on this? So we're going to be done with Hebrews for next week. We'll go to another other passages in the New Testament talking about the same reality. How do we reflect this holy life? But um, any questions or comments? All right. Well, as always, you have only to ask. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the position you've called us to in Christ. Um, we, you've given us a, an immense uh, joy and privilege and a task, O oh Lord God, of of being a holy people, of being a set-apart people uh, to proclaim you. Help us to encourage one another this morning as we gather. Help us to sacrifice and to, um, to share with one another, to do good to one another. 
um, to exhort one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. And we do see that day drawing near. Lord, help us to, uh, no, um, to not abandon our confidence, which has a great reward. Lord, we long for you. We love you. We thank you for this time this morning. Be with people and prepare our hearts and those who are still coming, prepare their hearts for worshiping you and reflecting your worth this morning. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.